Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. My name is Garth McKenzie. I've been trading since the age of 16. I headed up the retail derivatives desk for a large stockbroking firm in South Africa from 2003 until 2009. After that, I left the corporate world and I started traderscorner.co.za, an online service that caters to DIY traders providing analysis and trader education. I also ran the Traders Corner TV show on Business Day TV for over 10 years from 2009 to 2019. I've recently relocated to the UK and I trade both the South African and the offshore markets. Through this series, we hope to connect traders with other traders across the globe to share information, tips, and general advice on derivatives trading. The podcast series is brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. On to today's episode. Over the last two months, we've been running this Talking with Traders podcast series. It was an initiative initially spearheaded by IG Markets, and the idea was that we would interview a couple of well-known South African traders, some of them not so well-known, but nevertheless all successful traders, and that we would ask them a similar line of questioning and look to them to try and give some advice and some guidance and tell us some stories about their time in the market. I'm happy to say that the the podcast series has been a resounding success, and it's I think partially because of the fact that this series has actually coincided with the lockdown during the last two months or so. And it's meant that people have got a lot more time on their hands and therefore we've actually found that the listenership to this series has been very, very good. So much so that we actually decided to increase the number of episodes in this first series uh, to 10 episodes as opposed to the first six that we were originally scheduled to do. The feedback has been great from listeners and from the interviewees. And... um, so good in fact that we've decided to extend the series so this is the final episode of series one uh, but the, the good news is that there is going to be a second series that we'll record in the next couple of weeks and we'll bring that to you soon in this particular episode of this podcast series i'm going to summarize and talk to the key points that we found from each of the interviewees that I interviewed over the last couple of weeks. And I'm going to basically filter out some of the key takeaways and share those with you in a summarized format. Do also keep in mind that all of these podcasts in this series will be transcribed into an ebook and that will be available for you. All you need to do is to register. Uh, to receive a copy by clicking on the show notes attached to this podcast and then you'll be able to get your copy of that ebook once it is ready. So without further ado I'm going to get straight into the summary of each of the interviews that we've done over the last 10 weeks and the first trader that I interviewed was Dr. David Paul. He's a man that I have an immense amount of respect for. Uh, I first met him back in 2006 when I attended one of his boot camp trading courses in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I attended his boot camp twice, actually. And I must be honest, I found it probably one of the most influential things I've ever done in my trading career. The, the, the learnings, the lessons that he taught me were just invaluable. And uh, I, I'm immensely grateful for having the opportunity to go on his trading boot camp because it, it was just like nothing else. Honestly, it was like a bright flashing light went off in my, in my head in terms of my own trading from then onwards. David Paul began trading in the early 1980s. He's now uh, he trades full time for a living. He's based in London, uh, which is where I've recently met up with him. He's an educator and he runs Vectorvest in the UK and also in South Africa. He is very big on trading psychology and he's one of the traders who I think really gets trading psychology better than most and it came across in his interview and uh, I think you'll you'll notice it in a number of the interviews that we talked about but I think from uh, if it was trading psychology uh, 101 David Paul gets full marks for that. He makes the point that trading is not chess and that it's more like poker. And he says we're making decisions in an uncertain environment. Um, At the end of the day, we can't control what the markets do. We can only behave and and control uh, the way we behave in accordance with whatever the market is doing. So we're operating in an uncertain environment. 
as I said, he's big on psychology and he's big on beliefs and positive beliefs particularly. So two of the crit critical beliefs that he constantly reminds himself of is that one, I can make money in the markets and number two, I deserve to make money in the markets. And he constantly reinforces those beliefs on himself. And I think that's really critical, having a positive outset and being positive and optimistic about your trading is very, very important. I think that goes for a lot of things in life in general. A positive outlook and a positive attitude will take you far. He also made the point that a very common observation that he comes across when dealing with other traders and particularly even dealing with traders in large uh, trading organizations or in the banks in London is that very often the traders that he's talking to and mentoring actually don't know how much money it is that they're managing. And this is a problem because first of all, it it is it means that you don't know how to size your positions correctly in accordance with the amount of capital that you're trading with. He makes the point that no trader should ever risk or lose more than 1% of capital on any single trade. But he also made the point that in the banking organizations or in some of the big trading organizations that he consults to in London, often that the risk tolerance is actually as little as 0.3% on any single trade. So it sounds small, but you know if you get it right and you can get your risk to reward ratios right on your winning trades, then as long as you're keeping your losing trades small like that, you can still be very successful as a trader. And the reason why you want to ensure that your risk is low on an individual trade is because you need to be careful of clusters. Clusters are where you have a string of losing trades and you can obviously have a string of winning trades as well. But particularly the losing clusters are the ones that you need to be careful of because those are the killers. A string of losing trades can really uh, cause a great, uh, a large drawdown in your trading account. And that's, it's significant from two perspectives. First of all, the capital loss is, is very painful. But second of all, it can cause a tremendous loss to your confidence. And that is critical. You've got to make sure your confidence stays up. You've got to be positive. You've got to be optimistic. And you've got to be confident as a trader if you want to be successful in this business. And part of that is managing your risk such that when you have a losing string of trades, they don't cause you any great deal of pain and that you can still come back strong from that. Dr. David Paul uh, adds to his winning trades. He's made, made the point that when he's up one R, in other words, the amount of money that he accepts that he's willing to risk on a trade, once he's up by that amount, he then typically doubles the position and then he ratchets the stop loss up on the original portion of his trade. Doing this allows him to increase the size of his trade as the trade moves into his favor. And that's how he really makes some very, very successful trades in, in the market by adding to winners. Um, he made the point that on occasions he can get risk to reward ratios of 1 to 10 and that is phenomenal and that's you, you achieve by adding to your winning trades but also very very important is to cut the losing trades quickly. When it comes to trading the stock market he made the point that he can achieve about a 70% win rate on average. Uh, to do that, he uses VectorVest for his fundamental research, and then he has a nine-point checklist that he goes through on all trades. When it comes to trading the Forex market, which is also something David Paul trades a lot, there his win rate is around about 60%. He made the point that the real difference between winning traders and losing traders is simply that the winning traders just think differently. That's all. All of us have some level of ability as traders. Um, and on any given day, a bad trader can beat a, a good trader. The difference is that the winners just think differently and they're more consistent in their outlook and the way they see the market. There's no holy grail really when it comes to trading, but he did give us a go at it. He said if, if it was up to him, this is his best shot. And he said, why do so many traders struggle? and why particularly do retail traders struggle so much. So this is it. He said that when a losing trader has a winning position on, he quickly becomes pessimistic and he thinks that the market will take the profit away. So he's very eager to snap at a profit rather than to let it run. By the same token, when a losing trader has a losing position, he quickly becomes an optimist and he thinks that the trade will come right. He says, I'll give it another day. I'll wait. Let me ride it a little bit longer. So what you end up with is a situation where losing traders are far too eager to take a small profit and they're allowing their losers to run. That's what makes them losing traders. 
On the other hand, he said, when a winning trader has a winning trade on, he becomes optimistic and he sees that trade continuing to succeed. And by the same token, when a winning trader has a losing trade on, he becomes pessimistic and he cuts it very, very quickly. And that's the key. So winning traders let their winners run and they cut their losing trades very, very quickly. He made the point that good traders are very, very present. Uh, he also noted that thought patterns have momentum, much like a price chart has momentum. And he said that it's very key to make sure that you watch, watch those thought patterns and keep them positive and keep a positive mindset. Like I said, trading psychology is something he's very, very big on. And positive psychology is very, very critical. I asked all of the traders in the series to give us some book recommendations. So he gave us two, Trading in the Zone by Mark Douglas which is one that you'll notice comes up often. It's also my favorite trading book, one that I've read numerous times and that I try and reread each year. Uh, Mark Douglas, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He died two or three years ago. But in all the trading books that I've ever read, no book has ever managed to hit the nail on the head from a psychology perspective, quite like his book Trading in the Zone does. The other book that David Paul recommended for us is a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And in the time that I've, since I did the interview with him, I've actually downloaded that book as an audio book and I'm starting to listen to it now. His advice to young traders, and this is a question I asked to all of the interviewees, I said, can you give us three pointers for young traders, novices to the market? This were his, were his three pointers. Number one, he said, define how much money you want to put into your trading business. So it's not an open-ended figure. Define it, decide how much money you're going to put into this trading business, and then that's what you work with. And then you know, the second point, how much of that money are you going to risk on an individual trade? And like we said, the answer for him, no more than 1% of your capital should ever be risked on an individual trade. So what that really means is that if you have, for example, 100,000 Rand in a trading account, no one trade should ever mean or ever allow you to lose more than 1,000 Rand on that individual trade. That's what this means. And then the final point he made in terms of his uh, advice to young startup traders is that you should create a set of rules that define your method of trading and your criteria and then stick to it with absolute rigidity. So that was Dr. David Paul. That was our first interview, and it was absolutely riveting. All of these interviews are still available in the podcast series, and you can go and listen to any of them at any time as and when you choose to. Our second interview was with Simon Brown, a man that needs no introduction in the South African financial markets community. He's very well known in the media. Uh, his early years started out in the 1990s, and he made the point that his early years were a disaster. And that's the same for a number of us. I certainly count myself one of those people. My early years were a disaster. For the first six years of my trading career, I couldn't make money. Simon Brown was similar. But he has obviously evolved. He's progressed. He's uh, matured as a trader. And I know that he's now a very, very disciplined trader. And he's finessed what he does to a point of, of precision. Uh, his trades are, are mostly trend trades and he uses moving averages mainly to determine the general market direction. By his own admission, he's not good on technical analysis. He's not good at drawing charts or good at you know, intricate patterns like triangles and flags and things. It's not his game. He's very much more into the general direction of the market and he tries to keep things as simple as possible. And in light of that keeping things simple, he only trades the Aussie futures when it comes to active trading. He does hold stocks and whatever, but that's more from an investment standpoint. When it comes to active trading, he only really trades the Aussie future. He said that he has occasionally traded the DAX, that's the German index, uh, and the reason for that is that it also follows the same time zone as South Africa. But some point that he made, which I thought was very, very interesting, was that he said the DAX is an index he doesn't really understand from a fundamental point of view. He doesn't really know the companies that make up that index. So he doesn't have that same level of bias that he might have towards a, a more familiar market like the JSE. But that's a good thing because what it means is that he is able to just look at the trading action and trade according to what he sees in the trading action. And I found that a very, very valuable point. And it's something I've also noticed myself. I look at a lot of US ETFs that I'm focusing on 
and I don't always know the fundamentals of those ETFs but I do look at the trading action and I very often found that not knowing the fundamentals has not been a disadvantage at all in fact in some respects it could be an advantage because I don't have a bias in terms of what I'm expecting that, that ETF to do I'm pre purely looking at the trading action in the chart and then trading according to what I see so that's quite an interesting point to note there um, every interview that I did in this series had one key takeaway and I've tried to share each of those key takeaways with you in the summary here. For Simon Brown the key takeaway really was that his strong point is his discipline and that his ability to stick to stop losses are the key to his success. He is absolutely ruthless with stop losses. From an overall investing point of view he sees uh, his investment capital a little bit like a pyramid so the bulk of his investment capital is actually in ETFs nearly 60% of his capital is in in various different ETFs 25% uh, of his capital is then in what he termed long-term shares till death do us part type of shares stocks that he expects will be around for a long time long after he's dead and buried and he has about 25% of his capital in that then he has what he termed second tier stocks and that is around about 10% of his capital that's allocated to second tier stocks and those are stocks that he'll maybe look to try and ride the cycle in not necessarily wanting to hold forever but seeing that there's an opportunity that might be there for six or twelve months or two years or whatever and those are his second tier stocks the last little bit the top of his pyramid is his trading account his active trading account and that's where he trades all the futures and he made the point there that he risks no more than two percent of his trading capital on any individual trade in that trading uh, capital of his so what you can see is that you know it's a combined uh, trading and investing approach the bulk of his money is allocated to longer term investing but there is a small portion at the top of his pyramid that is allocated to active trading. In terms of book recommendations, he gave us Mark Douglas Trading in the Zone again. And like I said, you'll see that comes up a number of times with all of our interviewees. It's a great book, that. And then his advice to young start-out traders was these three things. First of all, you need more capital than what you think. Secondly, avoid gearing initially. So look to trade ETFs or the index in an ungeared fashion. In other words, what he was saying was be careful of things like futures and CFDs and taking on leverage with those because that leverage can be very dangerous, particularly if you don't know what you're doing. And the final third piece of advice that he gave to young startup traders is that know that it takes longer to learn than what you think. He prescribes to the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours rule which I do as well. Basically what that means is that if you're going to become good at anything in this life you probably need to invest at least 10,000 hours of your time into it to get any good at it. And don't think that there are any shortcuts. Hi everyone, once this series is complete there will be an ebook of the series that will include transcripts from all 10 episodes and a couple of surprises. If you'd like to receive that ebook for free, then all you need to do is click on the link included in the show notes to register your details. Alternatively, also find that link on our Facebook page. The free copy will only be available to the first 350 subscribers. Back to today's episode. The third interview in the podcast series was one that I did with a friend of mine called Brian Gibbs. He's not well known in the South African market from a publicity standpoint, but I know that he is a very successful trader. He's a very humble guy, and uh, he's he's been a client of mine, and I've met him on a number of occasions over the last 10 years or so. Uh, he comes from Durban originally, but he's also recently uh, begun moving over to the UK, and I've met him in the UK a couple of times uh, for coffee recently. His background, he started out studying towards a CA, but then quickly realized he didn't want to become an accountant for his career. He uh, quickly changed directions and he managed to get a job on the JSE trading floor in the 1990s. And he worked for a large firm, institutional firm, trading big money, uh, hundreds of millions of rands, uh, and did very, very well there. He eventually decided to break away from the corporate world and he's been trading for a living for himself since 2009, so about 11 years. 
he was successful from the outset in his career, but he admits that one of his failings is that he often sold too soon and that he could have probably made a lot more money if he hadn't have sold too soon. And that is a is a common uh, occurrence I find in my own trading. Knowing when to sell is still the hardest part of trading. Like I said, Brian has traded big institutional money. Um, what he did make the point of is that when it comes to trading for his personal account or for friends or family, which is something he does do, um, it is very, very different to when you're trading institutional money. He actually made the point that trading personal money or trading money for friends and family is actually harder than trading institutional money. Uh, the emotional aspect of it is totally different and something I can attest to as well, having done that as well. Um, when it's when the money doesn't have a face to it, it's not yours or it's not a friend or someone close to you, there's there's not as much of an emotional attachment to profits or losses. Whereas when when it's somebody's money that's close to you, that the, the, the whole emotional aspect around it actually can be very, very different. Uh, Brian believes that technical analysis is largely just imaginary lines on a chart. He's not strong on technicals. Uh, he, like he said, sometimes one person will see what might be one pattern, an inverted head and shoulders, for example, when another trader might see it as a triangle or whatever. And it's it's up to the the sort of the individual it, to some extent in terms of how they interpret the charts. So he's not very very strong on technicals. But what he does believe is that technical analysis does give you some clue as to what the price has done at any particular level in the past. And he says that. If the price found buyers at a particular level in the past, then there's a very good chance that that same level might find buyers once again in the future. And the key takeaway from my interview with Brian was exactly that, and it revolves around this point. He says, you know, he doesn't get emotional about it, but he'll look at a chart and he'll look at a level and say, well, in the past, the buyers showed up at this particular level. So therefore, in the future, they might show up again. He then watches, he waits, and he effectively sets a date with the buyers at that level. And he waits for the buyers to show up, and he tries to engage with them. If the buyers show up, and he's right, and the price then moves up from that level, great. If the buyers don't show up, then they don't show up, and he just moves on. He, he hopes they might show up the next time. He doesn't take it personally. Um, and it, it's really just an interesting way of looking at the market and not taking any of these things personally. Don't take the market movements personally. Just take it for what it is. And like he said, he set a date with the buyers. Sometimes they don't show up. That's that. End of story. Move on. Look for the next trade next time. He doesn't risk more than 0.5% of his capital on any single trade. Uh, and because of that, he really doesn't feel the pain of, of losses. He keeps his losing trades very, very small, which is obviously a, a criteria that we've and, and a characteristic that we're seeing through all of these interviews that I've done. His book recommendations: He's a very big fan of Van Tharp, and Van Tharp published a number of books over the years. So you could go and have a look for his books. He also has a trading simulator on his website, vantharp.com, and it's effectively a trading position size simulator which he it's it's like a trading game and he highly recommends that people go out and play that game because what it does is it allows you to test your ability to size a trade in a safe space and in a safe environment and the other book that he mentioned of course trading in the zone by mark douglas once again came up um, his advice to you new and young traders as follows. Number one, he said, nobody will look after your money as well as you will or will take care of it as thoroughly as you will. So certainly learn how to take care of your own money and your own investments and your own trading. Secondly, he said, try to find a mentor if you can. They're not always easy to come by, but if you can, find, try and find one. And the other thing he said is if you can't find a mentor, try and go on lots of good trading courses. And his final piece of advice to young traders was that you should focus on the emotional aspects of trading. So that was Brian Gibbs, and I thoroughly enjoyed speaking to him. The next interview in our podcast series was with Mark van der Bale. Now, Mark goes by the name of Real Chartist. He's got a website, realchartist.co.za. Mark only trades the Aussie futures. That's his speciality. 
And he made the point that when he started out trading for a living, he wanted to keep things as simple as possible. So he didn't want to complicate it. He didn't want to have too many instruments to watch. He really wanted it to be simple. And therefore, for him, trading the index or trading the Aussie future was the way to go. Uh, he scaled into trading from a business that he sold out of. He was in the exhibition business and they sold the company to uh, to their competitor and the deal was that he would sell out of the company and ultimately he would stay on for a while ultimately scaling out of the business. So what he did is he would work for four days of the week in the business and then he would trade for one day of the week. Then he would scale out a bit, he would work for three days in the business and focus on trading for two days and ultimately what it meant was that he scaled into his trading and gradually picked it up he didn't just suddenly overnight go from being an exhibition stand owner to being a full-time trader he did it gradually and his advice was that that's how people should go about this don't just launch straight into trading if you've got no experience at it don't quit your day job take it slowly and scale into trading mark is a day trader only he goes home flat every night. What that means is that he he doesn't have a position overnight. He's neither long nor short. He goes home without a position. And uh, the reason for that is that the overnight gaps on the top 40 future can sometimes be quite large. And we've certainly seen a lot of that over the last two months or so while the markets have been very volatile during this time of, of the coronavirus. So he goes home flat every night. He's a day trader and he doesn't hold overnight risk. The key takeaway that I got out of the interview with Mark was that this quote, he said, at the end of the day, traders are paid for taking on risk. That's what they're paid for doing. So as a trader, you need to take a view. You think the market's going up or the market's going down. You take the risk. And if you're right, you get paid for it. If you're wrong, well, then you've got to make sure that you don't lose too much when you're wrong. <clears throat> the Critical points that he also raised in terms of getting involved in trading for a living like he does is that he said you must be debt free and that you should have a substantial amount of capital. Now obviously substantial amount of capital is a bit of an open-ended term. Uh, it means different things to different people. But what he said is that when you start out you should effectively start with three sets of capital knowing that you'll probably lose the first lot of capital quite quickly. Just just natural. Uh, it's very common for that to happen when people are learning. There's a, a common uh, situation of observation I've seen is that you pay school fees in this business. It's almost a rite of passage. So he says, except that you'll lose your first lot of capital quite quickly. The second lot of capital, you'll lose less quickly, but you'll learn a lot. And then he said, hopefully by the time you get to your third lot of capital, uh, you should have made some progress. And by that stage, hopefully you'll start to be successful. He did blow up a couple of trading accounts in his early years so he certainly can speak from experience. Uh, he also made the point that you should treat yourself occasionally when you've done well. Uh, materialize the profits. So be that a holiday or, or something else, you want to buy yourself something nice, a car or a whatever. When you've done something, done some good work, you've made some money, it is a useful idea every now and again to just reward yourself for doing well in your, in your trading business because it can be very, very taxing. So make sure you do reward yourself from time to time. His book recommendations, again, he liked Mark Douglas uh, trading in the zone. And he said that really when it comes to trading books, you should focus on ones that dig deep into the psychological aspect of trading. You know, there's hundreds of books out there on trading methodologies and technical analysis and all sorts of things. Those are great, but really where your success or failure is going to be determined is in your ability to manage the psychology of trading. And from that perspective, he said, look for the books that focus on trading psychology mainly. His advice to new and young traders, number one, he said, make contact with other real traders, not snake oil salesmen, guys that are going to offer you the earth and, and make it sound too good to be true. Make contact with other real traders who are doing this for, for a living. Second of all, he said, build a community around your trading. And he's certainly done that with his Real Chartist website. I know he's got a number of other top 40 traders that subscribe to his service and it becomes a bit of a trading community there. And the third bit of advice he said is that it's important to manage your risk and manage yourself. And particularly when it comes to managing yourself, manage your own psychology.
Then the next interview in the series was, I would say, one of my favorites, uh, if I am allowed to say that I had a favorite, and it was with Arthur Buchner. Now, Arthur and I go back a long way. Uh, he was an, actually a school teacher of mine at Parktown Boys. He taught maths, and he was also my cricket coach at Parktown Boys when I was in Standard 6 and Standard 7 there. And he actually took a pay cut when he left teaching and he took a pay cut to go and join a stockbroking firm so that he could get his foot in the door. Nowadays he is based in London. He's a full-time trader. He's been very, very successful over the years. He's the founder of Courtney Capital, which is based in Johannesburg. And um, he, he, he's an active day trader and just a larger-than-life guy. People that have been in the markets for, for some time mostly will have known or heard of Arthur Buchner. He's one of those larger-than-life characters who you, you're just privileged to know. He's a fantastic guy. Uh, his background, obviously, after teaching, he joined the stockbroking world in a stock, uh, with a stockbroker. He moved to, around once or twice, but ultimately ended up as the head of derivatives at BOE Securities. And that was also... Uh, a significant development in my own personal career as a trader. He helped me to get into BOE as well, where I was able to then also uh, trade, and I headed up the retail trading divi division for BOE stockbrokers eventually. And I have a, a huge a level of gratitude for to Arthur for helping me to get into that position, because it was a big step in the right direction for me in terms of my own career. As I said, Arthur is now um, based in London. He still trades mainly the South African market, but he does focus on offshore markets as well. He's predominantly a day trader, and he trades his stocks with a lot of focus. Uh, as I said, there was a key takeaway in each interview for me, but the real and, and there was not actually one single key takeaway from the interview with Arthur. There were a couple, but the, one of them is this. He said he focuses on, on six core stocks. He knows them intimately, and he learns to understand how they trade, where their levels of support and resistance are, and he trades them with extreme focus, uh, and with and very actively as well. Occasionally, he said he will add other stocks onto his watch list if they are topical. Uh, Arthur is a member on a number of WhatsApp groups, trader WhatsApp groups, so from that he watches what's hot and what's not. Uh, and sometimes, if he sees that something is is popular, he'll pop it onto his watch list monitor it, perhaps see its trading action, and he might even trade it if he sees an opportunity to do so. But he's very, very patient, and uh, he often will wait for the market to get to an extreme point before getting too involved. Some of the, well, One of the other critical takeaways he said to me in the interview was that he counts to 10 before taking a trade. Now, obviously not physically counts to 10. What he means is that he's patient. You don't have to be the first guy to get involved in a trade. Um, see it, Acknowledge it, but know that you don't always have to be the first person to get involved in the trade. And so one of the techniques that he uses in his trading is just a little bit of gut feel in terms of knowing when the, the early guys into a trade start to get a little bit hurt and then takes the other side of that trade. Often the market will move to the point of maximum pain and he tries to identify that point of maximum pain before getting involved. Um, and by doing that, he finesses his trades. Uh, he he will often get in and out of a trade very very quickly before he actually starts to build a position. He'll 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 start getting involved. He won't go all in all at once. He'll feel the trade out. If he can feel it's not working, he'll get out very very quickly and then look to get back in and monitor it to try and see where there is volume and possibly where there's a turning point. He referenced a book called Trade Like a Shark, which is by Robbie Burns. And the key is trade like a shark, not like a whale. So trading like a shark means that you can go in and out and you can be quick. Whereas trading like a whale, it's a lot slower and you don't have as much uh, flexibility. Typically, large institutional asset managers will have to trade like a whale because they just have very large positions to buy and sell. Whereas if you're a shorter term trader, you can trade like a shark. You can, be get, you can get in and out very quickly and very easily, provided there's enough liquidity for you to do so. So like I said, Arthur will enter and exit trade several times along the way before you can actually feel through the trading action that a stock is finding a level where, for example, the buyers are starting to really step up to the plate. And by being that close to the stocks, he gets to feel the action very, very carefully. 
He also watches volume and monitors how the algorithms trade. He made the point that about 70% of the trade on the JSE nowadays is done by algorithms. So he watches what those algorithms are do, doing and knows that very often the algos will push the market to a particular point where to where they find liquidity. And he tries to sort of understand what those algorithms are doing and a trade in, in accordance with what that uh, with what they're doing. He's a contrarian trader. Uh, and that means that often he's on the other side of steep weakness or alternatively if something looks like it's overcooked on the upside he might be looking to try and short uh, by being contrarian. He doesn't focus on any one specific amount of risk in his trade. So he's not one of the guys that says oh you must risk half a percent or one percent or two percent. He goes with his gut and is in his own words he just said if it's not feeling good it's not good just get out. Um, and, and that's the nature of the man. He's very very flexible in the way that he, uh, he, he executes his trades. He doesn't get married to an idea and sit tight. If it's not working it's not working he gets out very very quickly. He is loathed to take losses. Um, and in his own words, a quote that he mentioned on the podcast, he said, you burn, you learn. And that's true. There's no uh, better teacher of experience than experience itself. When it came to book recommendations, Arthur did say, you know, all the popular ones that we know about. So the trading in the zones, the reminiscence of a stock operator, the market wizards, etc. There's a whole bunch of the popular books that every trader should have on their shelf. But he had two uh, recent books which are quite interesting. The one was The Behavioral Investor by Daniel Crosby, which is a book that focuses very much on investor psychology. And the second book was one called The Skeptical Investor by John Stepek. And that's a book about how contrarians bet. So something different there to books that I'll certainly be looking to try and get my hands on or probably get them in audiobook format very soon. His advice for new and young starting out traders. Um, different advice to what a lot of the other guys gave us actually, which is, is interesting and valuable. He said, first of all, you should learn to, how to program. Learn how to understand how to automate your process so that your signals in the market are automated, but then your execution is done by yourself, by human hand. Um, but he was big on learning how to program the market and learning how to automate your process as much as possible. Uh, he also says a second point, don't start out trading thinking that you're going to just be able to uh, live off your trading immediately. It doesn't work that way. It takes years and years of practice and experience and you need the right amount of capital to do it. So don't just think you can quit your job and start living off your trading income because it's not going to happen. Um, take time and know that this is a process of learning to, to get successful as a trader. And his final point was that try to find a mentor if you can. Now, obviously, that's not easy these days. In his, he made the point that banks are no longer hiring traders. They're very much more um, looking to go automated and algorithmic trading and what have you. But if you can, try and find yourself a mentor. It will help you a lot in terms of learning the market. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. My next interview was with D Greg Davies. Greg is the head of wealth at Kratos Capital. Uh, he started in the markets in 1989 and uh, traded on the JSE floor. His dad was a stockbroker, so obviously stockbroking and trading runs in the family. Um, he made the point that he learned a lot of his lessons from his clients as a broker over the years. He started out having to execute client orders and he, made, he mentioned that the clients very often were more informed than he was in the early years. And, but he found that it's a nice symbiotic relationship between client and broker where they help each other out. And I can also attest to that. My early years in the market was with uh, BOE where I was also a futures broker. And what's nice about being a broker is that you have 
clients who all you know each of your clients have a pair of eyes and what it also means is that they're all out there looking for opportunities and they sometimes find the opportunities that you don't necessarily see so I likewise agreed with him that often being a broker is a symbiotic relationship where you as a trader and the client is uh, can have a symbiotic relationship where you almost help each other out in terms of looking out for ideas and and bringing ideas to the fore. Greg uh, trades all sorts. So he's a short-term trader, sometimes trading intraday, uh, sometimes with a medium-term outlook, and also sometimes with a long-term outlook. Uh, running the, a, a book of clients at Kratos Capital means obviously he has a lot of clients with that are long only, and he takes a more of an investment standpoint there for them. But he's close to the market. And Kratos Capital was really founded as a day trading, uh, very active uh, trading house. So he sits amongst a lot of very active, uh, good traders within Kratos Capital. And as a result, he gets to feel the market very closely in terms of what those ultra short term traders are doing. He trades a lot on gut feel, but he does also believe in using technical analysis a lot. So he says you'll always look at a chart before entering a trade. Usually it's a three-month chart as, as a, at a minimum. Um, he also noted that each share does tend to have its own personality. So he watches a set number of shares. He tries to understand the personality and the trading action of all of these shares. He doesn't believe in hedging. He, he's of the view that um, you do need to have some risk on if you're going to be in this business um, and if if you need to hedge then possibly you should just rather be out of your position altogether so an interesting perspective there um, a great quote was something that he got from a movie called Molly's Game and he said that money which is won is twice as good as money that is earned and that's very pertinent in the market there's certainly a great deal of satisfaction that comes from winning from a winning trade in the market and uh, I suppose the contrary to that also is that when you lose money in the market it also does hurt as well but an interesting quote there from Greg Davies his book recommendations so he likes all the Warren Buffett books um, obviously being somewhat more of the investor slant he likes the Warren Buffett way of doing things and Warren Buffett has written a lot of books and there are a lot of other books books written not necessarily by Warren Buffett himself but about Warren Buffett's uh, investing methodology and the other book that Greg mentioned was The Alchemy of Finance which is by George Soros and then when it came to advice for new and young traders, Greg had uh, four pieces of advice to give. He said you need to know, first of all, that you might go 18 months without earning an income. That's if you are planning to trade for a living uh, from the outset. And obviously some of the other experts we've interviewed have warned against just doing that. You need to scale into it. But um, but Greg does sit in a lot of the interviews with the young candidates that come into Kratos Capital and want to become day traders. And they always say that to the candidates. They say, do you know that you might actually go 18 months without earning an income in this game? And can you handle that? And and worse than that, you might go 18 months with losing some money. So can you handle that? It's It's very, very important to go into this with your eyes wide open. He said that trading for a living is very, very tough. Uh, risk management and stop losses are absolutely vital and then the final fourth piece of advice he gave for new traders is that they should spend some time with successful and experienced traders and uh, an outfit like Kratos Capital would give one the opportunity to do that they have the ability where you can go there and possibly rent a desk uh, and sit alongside some other traders in the organization obviously there's a, a sort of a selection criteria I guess that everybody goes through to see whether they'll fit the mold there but if if you're if you're out there you're interested in getting involved in the market and looking at uh, starting to trade uh, and you're wanting to do it with some company around you then obviously a, an outfit like Kratos Capital is interesting it's a trading house that does allow um, retail traders to come in and join them obviously with a fee and with certain terms and conditions so that was it with, with Greg Davies, and you can uh, see a lot of his action on Twitter as well. He's quite, quite vocal on Twitter. The final interview in the series was with Sean Murison. Now, Sean is a technical analyst at IG South Africa. Obviously, IG are the sponsors of this podcast series, um, and 
Sean's story goes back to his school years. He got involved in the market while he was still at school. And uh, what I like about Sean and his approach to technical analysis is that his charts are always very, very clean. He doesn't clutter them up with a lot of analysis, lots of trend lines and moving averages and things. It's actually, his analysis is extremely clean and very easy to follow. And I, I think that in a way, you know, it, it's a replication of his personal uh, personality. Sean is a very calm guy. He's got a very calm demeanor about him and his his approach to the markets and his approach to his analysis also kind of comes across as very calm and reassuring. So I like the way Sean analyzes the markets and I follow a lot of his technicals very carefully because I find the work that he does really good quality. Um, he mentioned that he likes to focus on logical technicals and in that respect he looks at volume uh, as a big component of his decision making. He'll look at an area where a lot of volume is trading and that is obviously a significant area in a in a chart when a in a stock's trading pattern. If there's a lot of volume it means a lot of shares are being exchanged, there's something happening there. So volume is something big that he follows very, very closely. Um, what the setups that he likes, uh, first of all he, he looks to try and buy the first pullback from a new high. So that goes along with the point of buying 52-week highs, buying stocks where the momentum is in your favor. And that sometimes goes against what many would believe to be conventional wisdom. A lot of people think you need to buy when stocks have been smashed up and they're falling to the floor. No, actually the contrary. Very often you want to be buying stocks that are making new highs because stocks that are making new highs, highs often have momentum behind them and they will often continue to go higher. So he looks to try and buy the first pullback from a new high and in that respect he likes continuation patterns and particularly he likes a flag pattern if you don't know what that is google the flag pattern in technical analysis it's quite straightforward but essentially it's a, a continuation pattern it's almost where the price action pauses for a little while within an overall rising trend before the price continues to move higher again now working for ig markets obviously he um he he, he toes the line as it were and I asked him the question as to why it is that so many retail traders lose money or the regulation states that all CFD providers have to publish how many of their clients or what percentage of their clients lose money um, IG published this in big bold letters at the top of their website and currently the number is 76 percent so it's saying that 76 percent of retail clients that are trading CFDs with IG are losing money and that's not unique to IG, by the way. All of the other CFD providers that I follow out there globally record a pretty similar number. So around about three out of four traders lose money uh, when it comes to trading leveraged instruments like CFDs and futures and the like and Forex. And I asked Sean why that is. And uh, he just said that quite often it's because new traders tend to overtrade and they tend to lack discipline. And it's simple, really. It, and it's true. The market does have an allure. It has a magnetism. It has a pull to it. Prices are always moving. And if prices are always moving, then there's always, theoretically, an opportunity to be making some money. But the question is, are those opportunities all high probability opportunities or not? And very often not. Uh, and, and therefore, one shouldn't overtrade. And in his words, that, that, that is one of the critical reasons why a lot of start-out traders lose money. They overtrade and they lack the discipline to do it properly. And they lack the discipline to be patient for the right setups to present. I must say that IG Markets is very good in terms of trader education. Um, I've worked with them for a number of years on, on various projects. And they certainly do make an extreme effort to try and educate their clients. And it makes sense. In this business, you don't want your clients burning up all the time. You want your clients to be sustainable and to stick around for the long term. So IG, I think, are doing a, a commendable job of educating their clients on how to trade and what sort of principles to employ in order to trade successfully. When it came to book recommendations, Sean had three for us. He said uh, Technical Analysis of the Financial Markets by John J. Murphy was one. Then Bollinger on Bollinger Bands, that was by John Bollinger. And then Beyond Greed and Fear, a book by Hirsch Sheffrin. And uh, those were his three books. And Advice to New Traders, Sean said that you should develop a trading plan 
and stick to it. What that means is don't just go out there and shoot from the hip and take hot tips from whoever. Actually have a trading plan. Have a strategy around how you trade, what dictates a trade and what criteria need to be met in order for you to have a trade that is valid. And then the second point he said keep a journal. And I think that's right. Um, I still, after decades of trading, I still keep a trading journal. I write down all my trades, why I did each trade. And the reason for that is then I can go back later and look at my trades and review them and see what did I do right, what did I do wrong. And through doing that journal process, um, it allows you to mark your work in a way and review your your trades in the past. And um, then you, you're able to pick up your strengths and your weaknesses in your trading. And then you can focus on your strengths and you can work to try and eradicate your weaknesses. So that's it. That's the summary of all of the interviews that we've done in this podcast series over the last two months or so. Uh, I hope you found this useful. As I mentioned, uh, all of the transcripts of these interviews will be available for you in an ebook, which you can get for free. All you need to do is register for that ebook on the show notes attached to this podcast. Um, from me, a couple of final words. Um, I've really enjoyed doing this uh, podcast series. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to all of the interviewees. I've learned some interesting stuff and I've had a lot of um, habits, I suppose, reinforced in my head. So it's been a very, very valuable and enriching process personally to do this podcast series. Thanks to all the listeners for listening. We've had great numbers on the podcast series such that, that we have agreed and we've decided that we're going to do a second series of this of this tr Talking with Traders series. Um, so thank you for all of, for listening, all of you. Uh, and thank you to IG for sponsoring this series and for making it happen. And I look forward to presenting a second series of Talking with Traders with you in the next couple of months. So that's it from me, Garth McKenzie. Thank you for listening and take care. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking with Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app. Till next time.